Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. My dad, every Valentine's Day, used to buy my mom those little cherries, chocolate-covered cherries. Oh, um, But I would eat one every year just because it was like memory of my mom and dad. And so, um, and then there were the box of chocolates that were filled with all kinds of randomness. I will admit that my brothers and I may have like poked a knife in the bottom to see what the cream was in the bottom before we ate them, because some of them were gross, all right? So I want you to take a minute, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to share with them which one was your favorite flavor of those little candies in the chocolate thing. And if you're like, I don't like any of those, just share your favorite candy with your neighbor, okay? Go ahead and take a minute and do that. I love it. I mentioned talk to your neighbor about chocolate, and some of you just got really animated, like, chocolate. All right. We love chocolate. We love all things sweet. So, well, this morning um, I wanted to say just a couple of things. If you were here last Sunday, you know it was a little bit of a hot topic last Sunday morning. And so, pretty much, it, we left this room with a buzz after church last Sunday. I heard more talk about a sermon last week than I've heard about a sermon in 10 years because you were like stirred up over it. Um, And so it was exciting, though, to hear about couples that really were wrestling with some things, and even teenagers that were wrestling. And we got home with the boys, and I asked them, you know, tell me about what you take away from today. And so we got to have a great conversation about what they took away from the morning. But um, we're talking about relationships. We're in a series here. And Friday night, we hosted Affection Connection, and we had some couples come through and be a part of that. It was an awesome night. It was so fun to see couples in here um, learning more about each other, connecting with each other in a new and a fresh way, and just had a couple, a few people just shared with us that was just what we needed for our relationship. And so if you didn't get to be a part of that, we're going to do something again next year because we really had a lot of fun with that. So I hope that, that you'll say, hey, we're going to take some time and, and be a part of that next year. Um, this morning, we're going to hit on a different to- topic, and it's a big deal is, is my title for today, but we're talking about the topic of covenant and how significant covenant is in marriage. And I love um, Jamie was sharing about, as he was talking about worship and about that significance of of that relationship of of covenant with Christ and and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And so we're gonna, we are talking about that this morning. Um, For those of you who maybe are less familiar with the Bible, God saw covenant as a binding agreement or a promise. He made, there, there are different covenants throughout the Bible that Christ made with mankind, and you know what? He kept his promises, but he didn't just keep them, he still keeps them with mankind. Um, There are covenants in the Old and in the New Testament, two parts of the Bible. Um, We're gonna look at a couple of those covenants this morning, and the first covenant that we're gonna look at is from Exodus 19, five. So if you wanna open your Bible, you can, but we've got stuff here on the screen for you to see. It says this, 
exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my commandment, you will be my own treasure from among all peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message that you must give the people of Israel. So this is a pretty big deal here. This is a covenant that God has given to Moses. He says, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own treasure. Now you would think that if God makes this promise that he's gonna take care of of these people, right? That they're gonna obey him and they're gonna do what he says. That the the people of Israel are just gonna, they're gonna do exactly what they're supposed to do, right? Wrong. They continued to mess up and break their part of that covenant with Christ. But what I love about it is that regardless of the fact that, that this clueless people messed up again and again and again, God still remained faithful to them. Right after this passage um, in Exodus, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that points back to it. It's Deuteronomy 4.13, and it says this. He proclaimed his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to keep, and he wrote it on two stone tablets. So God gives Moses these Ten Commandments, and he says, here are the, here are the, here are the things, here are the rules, if you will. I want you to keep these. I want to I want a covenant with you that you'll live by these things and I will take care of you. So God gives mankind these 10 commandments to follow. And again, in the covenant he says if you'll follow and obey, he promises to take care of them. But guess what? They still don't get it. Have you ever felt clue like have you ever been around someone and you're like, "Oh my word, that person is clueless." I'm going to I'm going to inject a small little story here. In middle school, we had a friend. I don't know of a person who lacked common sense more than this precious friend of mine who constantly tripped, constantly ran into walls. You would say something and she'd be like, really? Like just like the, for all intents and purposes, an airhead, right? Okay, like just the, you're like, how can you be so clueless? Okay, this I'm guessing is at moments what Christ feels like with the people of Israel. How can you be so clueless? I am, I'm telling you, I want to live in covenant with you, and yet you continue to break that covenant. So now we're going to fast forward to the New Testament. Guess what? <laughs> They're still not getting it. Um, Something has to be done at this point. And now enter the scene, Jesus. Jesus comes with the purpose of giving his life for us. His, whole, his sole purpose is, is to, to give his life so that he can pay the price for us. It's called the blood covenant. So here he is in this next passage. He's telling them that this cup is representative of his blood that was shed for mankind. Luke 22:20 20 says this. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, "This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, 
an agreement confirmed with my blood that is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This blood that Christ shed on the cross is the covenant. It's the very thing that can set you and I free. His blood paid the price for our sins. This next passage that we're looking at, I know we're, we're booming through passages here this morning, but this next passage is, this is the marriage covenant. Matthew 19, four through six says this. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I feel like you just stepped into a marriage ceremony. This passage is talking about Genesis 2, and that's what God says. The man and woman are to leave their father and mother, and they're to be united together as one flesh. God doesn't see him as two anymore, sees him as one flesh. And that's, it's representative of what that covenant is with Christ. He doesn't want us to be Christ and Christy. He wants us to be one in that relationship. So last week I, I shared about how oftentimes Jeremy and I have seen that couples are prepared for the wedding day. You know, they have taken every detail into account of what to do and how to be ready and what to wear. Our role as pastors is to help them realize that there's more than just the wedding day that they're preparing for. They're preparing for the marriage. They're preparing for the rest of their lives beyond that one day. Take, look at another way. Um, you know, Reagan just graduated last year. Reagan spent months preparing for high school graduation. Our role as parents was to help Reagan realize there's life beyond that graduation, so what's next? How do we prepare now for what's next? So, in the eyes of God, the marriage covenant here is essential. And you might ask, okay, what does all of this have to do with us? We're gonna break down some things about being in covenant with one another this morning. The first thing I wanna talk about when we're in covenant is that happiness is an emotion while joy is a choice. I know I've, I've mentioned this topic a couple times, but what we feel can fade. No, not can fade, it will fade. How many of you have had a day where you just wake up as happy as can be? Raise your hand. Yep. And then the very next day you wake up and you're like, I don't know what happened, but today it's not a happy day. Raise your hand, have you felt that? Yeah, a few of you are honest, okay. Totally. There are days where, um, We've, Jeremy and I have had a lot of happy days in our marriage. It's so weird not to have him sitting right here, by the way. Um, we've had a lot of happy days in our marriage. Um, and then there are days that really have not been so happy. Believe it or not, there are days when we get irritated with each other. I know, shocker, right? <laughs> Anyone who is human, you get irritated with each other. You live with that person, right? There are things that they do that you did not know that they did. And you're like, what on earth is that? I'm not even going to tell. Okay, so. But guess what? Um, my grumpy mood, it's not his job to make me happy. It's not my job to make him happy. It's my job to love and serve him. 
but happiness is an emotion that fades. We've had some huge moments of sadness in our marriage. We've had moments where life has torn us down. We've lost loved ones. We've watched friends' marriages end that we stood in their weddings. We've been broken down by things in ministry. Some of those things threatened whether or not we would continue in ministry because we were so broken by them. All of this has happened because of one word, sin. Brokenness in our world causes things to happen to us. Some of them even happen in the church. I know, again, shocker, right? I'll be honest, sometimes this very community can be the one that hurts the most. Because for some reason we think we gotta come in here perfect and expect everyone else coming in here to be perfect, but that is anything but the truth. I hope you bring your baggage in here, saying, Jesus, I need some help because I brought my baggage with me this morning. I'm dragging these suitcases behind me. Good for you. Bring it with and lay it down. Lay it down. Now, we've learned that um, the one thing that Jeremy and I have learned, and it's so funny because I, I preached and, and I led two retreats on this just prior to my dad dying, telling groups of people that joy is a choice and we have to find joy in our circumstances. Little did I know what was ahead for me. I got to practice what I preached. We've learned that joy comes from living in covenant with Christ. Joy comes from being rooted in the word of God and holding on to the promises that are given to us all throughout the Bible. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I love you. I have created you. We hold on to those truths. Joy comes from constantly growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. While we grow together, that joy finds its way and it seeps its way into our marriage. Joy is consistent while happiness comes and goes. Happiness blows like the wind, but joy is that thing that, have you ever met a person and you're like, your life stinks, but you are the most joyful person I know. How? I have a friend named Christy. Her husband died in a car accident. He was a police officer. And I remember walking into Christy's house just a couple of days after Matt passed away and sitting down with Christy. And here's Christy sitting next to, let's say, Colin with her arm around him going, it's okay. He's with Jesus. God is good. And we're all like, we came here to, to console you and you're telling us it's okay. Because Christy had a deep rooted relationship with Jesus Christ to be able to find joy even in the very darkest of her days. Oh, it was so good to see that. So the next thing that I want to talk about is this. Know what makes each other tick. We talked about five love languages. If you were here Friday night, you took that test. Believe it or not, it's not always about you. Shocker. When it's about we, you have to learn to speak each other's love language. Um, have you ever gone, I love that we have two friends from Brazil here this morning. Have you ever gone to a foreign country and said something to someone um, and, and realized that what you said to them or what you intended to say was not what came out of your mouth? 
If you want to hear a story, I cannot share it from the platform of what I said on a missions trip to Puerto Rico several years ago. You can come ask me after church and I will tell you the story, but it is not, I can't share it here. It was so bad, y'all. I was dying at the end of the week as we sat around in a circle with our friends from Puerto Rico and I said to the kids, did anybody have any cultural experiences this week? And they're telling me they're serious things and, and they're sharing. And one of our sweet kids from Puerto Rico who's like a son to us now, Carlos says, oh, Mama Kirsty, you did. And I was like, what? And he goes, let me tell you what you said. And my whole team of like 28 of us fell over on the carpet that night laughing at what I had said. It was embarrassing. I needed to learn a little better how to speak the language, apparently, because I said something so wrong. Um, in, our, in our relationships, whether it's your marriage relationship or your friendship, you've got to learn how to speak each other's languages. Um, Jeremy and I, I've had to learn his language and relearn it over the years. And I've had to be reminded of it. Mine is gifts. I love to give gifts and I love to receive gifts. So I tend to speak in that language even though that's not his love language. He's got a lot of great things, but that's not his love language. I, we learned, this is our thing, we learned something the other night. His love language is acts of service doing things for him. So I love to have the house clean when he comes home sometime, or I love to make a meal. Those are the things that speak to him. To come alongside of him, it's why ministry's fulfilling for us, because I get to work with him and to serve with him. So I've had to learn how to speak his language. Um, we have to think about those around us in their languages, not our own. If you've ever taken, if you've not taken that love language test, come see me again. We'll hook you up. We'll get that set up for you. The next thing I want to talk about is the time out adult style. Okay? We have to learn to fight right, people. I know you, that's probably not something you hear from a, a pulpit either. Learn to fight right. It's a natural part of life. We get in fights with one another. Getting angry and upset is a normal part but how we deal with it is what's healthy or not. All of our premarital counseling sessions, again, we talk about timeouts with every couple that we meet with. It's important sometimes for us to take that time out. Um, one of the ways that fighting crosses a line is when we allow anger to take over and we just blow up at the other person. Um, this is rarely really never a very effective style of communication. We have to stop, we have to allow ourselves to breathe, and we have to get our emotions under control. And we really sometimes need to think things through before we say things. How many of you tend to be someone who you say things before you think about how it comes out, and then you realize after the fact, oh, that did not come out the way I intended? <laughs> yeah, we've, we're probably all guilty of that at one time or another. This is what I recommend. Set your time with each other. If, if whoever this fight is, if it's, if it's with a friend, if it's with your spouse, set your time. Just say, hey, I need 10 minutes. I need 20 minutes. I need 30 minutes. I need an hour. And then we're going to come back together and we're going to try to work this out after I've had a minute to cool down. I'm going to like fall off the step over here to, this morning. After you need to cool down and think that through. Learn to fight well. I love this, this week I was reading and doing some research on this and I found this, four marriage germs, okay? 
And it says this, there are germs when it comes to arguments. And here are the four germs. Withdrawal from the argument. Do not disappear and drop the whole issue like it never happened. That's, that's different than taking a timeout because a timeout, you're coming back to it. But some of us, we just try and disappear and go, yep, nothing ever happened. Just sweep it under the rug. Don't do it. Don't escalate during the argument. I mentioned this above. Don't let your competitive spirit, I know some of you are in here are competitive. I've seen it when we play games already. Don't let your competitive spirit or need to be right kick in and add fuel to the fire of that argument. Belittling your mate. This kills relationships. Don't think better of yourself than your mate, because guess what? You're not. Did you know that research has been done that actually shows that couples who belittle each other, those couples are more susceptible to illnesses, physical illnesses, because they belittle each other? Man, there's power in the tongue. The Bible talks about that. Your tongue can give life or your tongue can kill. Dwelling on your mate's negative qualities. I don't recommend it. When we dwell on negative things, we begin to see our spouse, things that are in them that not, are not always there, aren't even always issues, but because we have a negative mindset, when, when we have a negative mindset, all of a sudden everything else around us becomes negative. And so if I have that negative mindset and then I look at Jeremy, I begin to see negative. And guess what? Sometimes that negative isn't even actually negative, but it's my spirit. Um, my suggestion is this. Grab a marital Clorox wipe, the Bible, and apply it to the germs in your marriage or your relationships and kill them. Okay? Clorox wipes kill germs, right? So does the Bible. So does Jesus Christ. What do you need to apply him to in your life, in your marriage, and in your relationships? Marriage is like a bank account. So let me ask you this. How's your bank account, folks? Is it full and overflowing? Is it running low? Are you constantly making withdrawals without ever making deposits? Maybe you need to invest differently in your, in your marriage or your relationships. I would suggest a maintenance plan. Time away, date nights, renewed intimacy. And here's a key one. And I was impressed this week when having a conversation with a couple of college students about this. Accountability. I listened to, a, um, to some of them talk about the fact that they've decided to be accountable to some other couples. And I thought, oh, we have something to learn from that, people. Be accountable to one another. Take divorce off of the table and banish it from your vocabulary. Work through issues in your own life that contribute to you wanting a divorce. Um, we have two friends who have gone through some pretty serious struggles early on in their marriage. One of those friends, we didn't learn about it. Again, these things don't happen until afterwards because then people tell us. And I'll never forget, it was a girl who was in my wedding and we sat in their living room after Jeremy ran a marathon. 
and they shared with us that they almost divorced. They were done. So we didn't like each other. We didn't want to be near each other. We didn't want to look at each other. We were repulsed by the other person. And then a book hit. They were challenged to go to this study at a church called Marriage on the Rocks. And they read that book, and it was in the process of reading that book that God began to do something in each of their hearts, a work that I can tell you God had never done in either of their hearts before this. And all of a sudden, these two fell in love with each other again completely and madly, so much so that they said, we have to renew our vows. We need a covenant ceremony to say, I still do. I didn't want to, but I do now. And so for both of these couples, they had a covenant renewal. They said, we want to continue on with this. We don't want to quit. We thought we did, but we won't, we're not quitting. Can I ask you this, if you're in this room and you're thinking that, you have felt that way, and you're like, I don't want to quit. Will you come find Jeremy and I? We want to help you renew your vows. We want to help you have that covenant ceremony to stay. I'm still in this. I'm still committed. Teach your kids what covenant marriage looks like. Be the parents who are willing to be vulnerable and even have uncomfortable conversations with your kids. Model Christ-like covenant marriage for them. And I wanna remind you of this. Some of you in here are like, I'm not married, how does this apply? I wanna say this. There are kids in this room and there are other college students in this room that are watching you even if you're single. Your life is a reflection of that. What does it look like to live in covenant with my friends and with my family? Model that. Lead by example. It's better for kids to learn about their relationships um, from their parents and maybe trusted adults than it is from the social media, from other friends, or from our messed up society. We once had a parent tell us, you cannot talk about sex with our kids at church. Okay? Who's going to? because your kid has told me that you're not. And they desperately need answers to the questions that they have. People, we gotta have these conversations with our teenagers. And it can't just be the Bible says no. <laughs> so what? That's what a kid's gonna say. Give them some grounding of why. Talk to them. True covenant cannot happen without Christ. We cannot live in, con in covenant without the power of Jesus Christ. Just as Christ keeps his promises to us, he asks us to honor our covenant commitment to our husband or wife for Christ's sake. We aren't worthy of Christ keeping his promises of, uh, to us. And likewise, our spouse isn't necessarily worthy of our love. If we had to wait until the person that we're in covenant with was worthy, Guess what? We would be waiting a long time because none of us is worthy. It's about telling Jesus that you love him enough to love your spouse and to be true to your covenant to him or her because you want to be true to your covenant keeping Christ. Listen to this description of covenant. God loves wedding days. He designed them to be a particular, uh, a picture of heaven and earth. 
He invented them to be a foretaste of something far bigger than the bride and groom, far more than cake and flowers. He created weddings to be a demonstration of who he is. We want the author of lasting love to be our guest of honor. A covenant is not a contract. It's not a business agreement scrawled across a piece of notebook paper that either party can terminate on a disgruntled whim. It's not a feeling good, a feel-good transaction designed to get a whole bunch of free wedding gifts. A marriage covenant is an ancient ceremony, a solemn act, a sacred vow. It is the binding of two lives, the forging of two destinies for a common purpose. It is the most holy, most sacred, most celebrated, and most serious act a human can make. A marriage covenant defines your life, your behavior, and your future decisions from the moment that you say, I do. A wedding isn't about the dress or tux, the string quartet, the flowers, the candelabras, the gifts, the rings, or even the bride or groom. It's about the covenant exchange and the God who oversees it. In God's economy, a wedding covenant is an earthly picture of much more significant covenant that he established with his bride nearly 2,000 years ago. And God intends every wedding to be a reminder of that blood covenant, which he invites each and every one of us to enter into with him. Covenant making is serious business. God treats covenants as binding and forever. When he covenants with us, he doesn't ever change his mind. He himself is bound by covenant. He gives himself entirely to us. Everything he is and everything he has, his entire life. His only request is that we give ourselves to him entirely in return. That's the gospel. It's an invitation to enter into a covenant with the God of the universe to become one with him and to enjoy the fullness of his person for eternity. And that's the essence of the wedding day, our entire life unequivocally to another. To become one with them and to enjoy the fullness of their person for a lifetime. Someone in love wants more than just kisses, love notes, love songs for a lifetime. After a while, the sparkle of those fabulous things will begin to fade if it's not backed up with each, with the covenant commitment. The sacred vow of covenant, covenant, I'm sorry, the sacred I do is what brings out the unprecedented beauty of romance in marriage. The same is true with our king. He is eager for us to obey his truth, write him love notes, sing him love songs, what we did this morning. But as our chosen king, he desires with every single one of us in this room a binding, non-retractable covenant commitment with Jesus Christ. Remember this. When I becomes we, it's about you, not about me. I've asked Colin to come up this morning and play as we get ready to close. even in our, our relationship with Christ, when I, when Christy becomes we, Jesus Christ and Christy, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? 
No looking around for just a few minutes, please. Is there anyone in this room who as you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I have never entered into that covenant with Jesus Christ. I have never said, I want that. Maybe for some reason you've believed that you're not worthy of Jesus. Well, the truth is you're not worthy, but he died on a cross for you because he loves you that much. Maybe you believe that you're not worth, you don't, that he can't love you because of what you've done. That's a lie. If you've never acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of Jesus Christ to do a new work in you, and you want that covenant today, will you do me a favor and raise your hand right now? Amen. Thank you. Until we're fulfilled in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we cannot be the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the husband, the wife that God intends us to be. Before we place blame on this person or that person and wonder why everything is broken, we need to stop and evaluate our own relationship with Jesus Christ. Is it like a fine-tuned piano in sync with its player? Or is it that out of tune, way messed up piano, way out of sync with its player? If we're the piano and Christ is the player, are you in tune or are you out of tune? Maybe at one time you were completely in tune and you know you're not anymore. Who's willing to admit that you need a tune-up to help you live into the covenant that you made with Jesus Christ? Will you raise your hand? Maybe there's a couple in here who says, we are not living into the covenant that we made when we stood before each other and said, I do. But we know that we need to do something different. We need to take divorce off of that table. We need to figure out how to fight better. We need to love each other better. We need to do it because that's what Christ wants. Would you raise your hand this morning? We're gonna get ready to sing this song in just a minute and I'm gonna ask you this. If you raised your hands, I know this is a scary part, but we're gonna all stand and sing this song and I'm gonna ask you to find your way to an altar this morning. And maybe you have someone in here that you know and you say, I need you to go with me because I can't walk up there alone. And maybe you don't, but I'm gonna promise you this, if you come up to this altar alone, you're gonna find yourself surrounded by some people who wanna love on you and pray with you. Not weird, just say, we've got your back because that's what the church does. And I, I believe our church name is not real life for no reason. Because guess what? We can be real with each other. So this morning, my challenge for you is let's get real with Jesus and find our way to the altar.